Hello and welcome to Energy Policy Cast, where we share recent research in energy policy. I'm your host, Daniel Sneon. Today we're joined by Tara Amerisi, and I'm not doing the pronunciation correct, uh, but she can correct me in, in, in a moment. She recently defended her PhD thesis with uh, great success. Um, and uh, as part of her research, Tara has done interesting uh, studies and work in the field of gas, focusing on the economics of a decarbonized gas system as part of the Future Gas Project. And Tara was part of the Energy Economics Group at DTU. Since then, after f- finishing her PhD, uh, she's moved south to the lovely German city of Hamburg. Um, Tara will explain about her project on markets for biomethane today, which is a comprehensive study of a green gas market in Europe. This is uh, relevant also beyond the scope of uh, this study because this is generally an upcoming area of research uh, as the EU is currently working on new agendas and new plans for the green gas uh, system. So Tara, welcome to the podcast and perhaps you can just briefly explain about uh, your background. You're not a native Dane, so why did you end up looking at at biomethane in in Denmark? Um, Thank you for the nice introduction and you did pronounce my name correctly, (laughs) so good job. Thank you. And yeah, so um, yeah, well, I have I have studied industrial engineering management, but with a focus on environmental engineering. So I had learned about the technology behind biogas, but um, and afterwards I started working at a Danish energy trading company and uh, at their office in Germany, and that is where I started working with energy regulation, and I found it especially in light of the German. Energiewende or energy transition, I found it very fascinating to actually work with energy at this point in time. So then looking at the DTU website, I found the PhD position regarding the future gas project. And it was very connecting all the points of my studies and work that I was finding really interesting in one project. So I applied for it, and uh, yeah, I'm really happy I did that. So I had I had to yeah I the PhD, and it was a really nice experience. We we also enjoyed your company uh, in D2, and we miss you. Um, right, so I think that that outlines uh, why why you ended up uh, looking at, at biomethane, then. But perhaps a bit on the motivation for the study, um, for 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 your study and maybe for the future gas project more broadly. Well, the future gas project, it's it's overall question of the pro- the overall question of the project, which many work packages are working on answering is what will the role of the gas system be in a future integrated energy system where we have higher shares of renewable energy and a higher share of electrification. So that was the overall question and my PhD was focusing on markets and regulation. 
So when you look at the future, you look at the future free of fossil fuels. So it was uh, reasonable to look at the alternatives we have to fossil fuels that could use the gas system, which is renewable gases, uh, say, say like um, biomethane and hydrogen produced from renewable electricity. So um, yeah, that was that was the overall idea of this study. So because when you have in, when when we have now we have a commodity mar market, we have a market hub for natural gas and for electricity, but there is no market hub as such for uh, biomethane and uh, green gases. There is a lot of bilateral trade, so there is a market. There are high potentials in different parts of Europe, so that means that uh, so you have different potentials also of by of uh, feedstock for biogas and for hydrogen production. So that kind of calls for a more cross-border trade, and this was the motivation for me to look at what barriers are there in order to make this happen and how. This is uh, the cross-border trade of renewable gases is happening. Right. So essentially, it, I understand it the way that it's sort of a uh, sector which is uh, becoming increasingly mature and then the market structures should follow along with, with this maturity. Is that? Exactly. Right. That is very well put. <laughs> Thank you. Perhaps a, a quick insight into where we are now with the green gas. Uh, so, so how 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 much is there, and is there enough to make a market? Um, well, if you when you talk about green gas, like when I started the study, it was mainly biomethane I worked with. But now, within the years, hydrogen also. We got added to the green gas repertoire, but with the condition that the hydrogen is produced by renewable electricity. And this is where we already are having some challenges, because when you produce hydrogen using the power to gas project, using uh, not power to gas project, but using a power to gas plant, using um, electricity from the grid, you cannot really guarantee that it's green hydrogen because the electricity grid contains still uh, shares of fossil electricity, so that so that is uh, something we need to first be very careful about, not to call hydrogen by default green, but to actually look where it's originated from. It comes in many different colors, doesn't it? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so I think that makes sense. But, but in in this hypothetical market or the market that you you're proposing, uh, related to what you just said, so you would potentially be able to uh, trade different kinds of gases on the market. So, electrolyzer based, for instance, or biogas based, or what have you. But with the caveats that you just mentioned, perhaps. Yes. Well, it is. It's there is nothing wrong with trading. Uh, the hydrogen that is not from 100% green electricity, or but it's it's important to have transparency so the customer knows what they are buying. That the there is a transparency and that the sustainability of the commodity is also reflected in the price and in the value it has for the customer. 
so that we don't end up having, for example, biomethane produced from 100% waste and waste feedstock being sold at the same price as biomethane that is originating from only maize. Because otherwise, the producer of the sustainable uh, biomethane will not have actually an incentive to actually audit it and prove the sustainability and actually offer a more valuable product if the product is going to be sold at the same price as the non-valuable product. Mm. So, so related to that, so I, I suppose that the biomethane will be transported in the same pipes as all regular gas is. So, so, and you just mentioned auditing. So, so how would you distinguish distinguish uh, biomethane when when trading it? How do you see the difference of the different gases? Yeah, well, there there is an ECOFIST report which is called Analysis of the Operation of the Mass Balance System and Alternatives. So, and there, uh, this report is where I uh, uh, introduces the term chains of custody. Mm. And the chain of custody is a method by which a connection is made between the raw material and the energetic value of the commodity and the information and claims and all what is actually being audited for that unit of energy and for that unit of commodity. Hmm. So, um, yeah, so the method to connect these, the energetic value with the information regarding that energetic value is, uh, is a chain of custody. And there is different ways to ensure that the, that the connection between these, between the information and the energetic value, and yeah, so that is also what I address in my study. With that is also what the EU Renewable Energy Directive has addressed by guarantees of origin and the mass balance system for biofuels. So now you you're saying chain of custody, and that makes me think of the buzzword of blockchain. So are those terms in any way related? No, no. I would go more towards the direction of supply chain. Right. Okay. Okay, thank you for value chain. That's the kind of chain. So, so when when you discuss uh, the difference between the the mass balance system uh, over the guarantees of origin, would would you propose any solution over the other? Um, not necessarily, because um, I think market participants still should have the freedom to offer a variety of products. So it's not about whether one is better or worse than the other. It's just they have different purposes. Because the mass balance system is for uh, is for biofuels and uh, renewable gases uh, that will end up in the national targets of the of a country. So it's only that share of biomethane that has went through this. A red, a renewable energy red uh, mass balance system that can count as renewable energy in the in the national uh, in the national target achievement whereas guarantees of origin have their value for the end customers so an end co- there there are end customers which would like to pay a higher amount of money for a greener product and that is what the guarantee of origin 
is um, used for, but the guarantees of origin are so far not eligible for counting towards national targets. All right. So is it fair to say, just to see if I understand correctly, that, that the mass balance is more on the state accounts that, that this is counting, whereas the guarantees of origin is on the end user and the, the producer's side where they uh, use that as a, as a trading tool, so to say? Yes, I think that um, that kind of that kind of <laughs> describes it. But also then the, you have to also see that then by the mass balance system, it goes through more auditing, so it can count towards states. So it's a more valuable certification method, or mm. a value, more, it proves a more value of the chain of custody because it went through more audits and um, and it and it can in the end count towards renewable energy targets, which in some cases incentivizes nations to support that to more. But so sp- speaking of of that or the sustainability of the gas or w- whatever characteristics that you wanted to assign to it, and we've we've touched upon it a bit earlier on, but but since biomethane is produced in various ways in different countries, for instance, or maybe even within a country, uh, <clears throat> you mentioned perhaps a larger tolerance uh, for variations in in, uh, how the gas is generated, Uh, for instance in Germany, uh, where the level of sustainability in in some terms is lower than when it's coming from other other countries. Is is there... Compared to Denmark. I I only compared Denmark and Germany and there, Denmark, you have uh, uh, it's a 12% threshold for energy crops where in Germany it's a 40% threshold for food crops. Right, so, so would, it, would you suggest some kind of harmonization on those uh, levels of energy crops, for instance, tolerable levels of energy crops? Well, I think on a purely theoretic view that might be interesting, but you have to see you have the European member states, which each have different potentials for biomethane production and having all the member states agree on a certain sustainability level. It's I don't think it's something that is very easy. And also the sustainability perceivement of different countries is different of the nations perceive different things as more or less sustainable. So I don't I don't know whether that will be a realistic thing. Hmm. Okay, so the practical uh, implementability is, is maybe challenging. Yeah, because also if you have a higher sustainability level and threshold, that means you will have less amount of participants in the market, less about of producers that would sell in that specific market, which, on, but on the other hand, it, you would have a higher value product and the customers would have more trust in the market. Mm. They wouldn't think it's a greenwashed thing. But on the other hand, you wouldn't have enough volumes to 
to have more efficiency for the producers. But when you have lower sustainability levels, you have more volumes, but the overall standard of the product might be lower. Sure. It's a bit following the Buchanan's uh, paper on the theory of club, this idea that, um, yeah, that the trade-offs between the green price premium and the market participants and how that affects the welfare that the uh, welfare effect that the market has. Right. And if the listeners didn't catch the name, we'll just link to uh, to the studies that Tara is mentioning uh, in this episode. So, but, but Tara, so, uh, just to summarize, it seems to me that there is no one such thing as the ideal design. Uh, so the mass balance system will not necessarily prevail. Uh, well, I don't know if there might be an ideal design, but I didn't find out what it is. <laughs> so that's the next, that's the further research perhaps. Yes, maybe. Right. Is there anywhere where, where this uh, specifically applies? Because you have looked at certain countries, Denmark, Germany, and, and France, I think. Um, so must it be, for instance, European countries with agriculture as, as those countries have? Well, no, because now you have en- hydrogen entering the renewable gas field. And you have also much uh, large amounts of non-renewable hydrogen entering the renewable gas field. So I think it's um, the issue of transparency and the ability to develop a methodology to prove the sustainability of the hydrogen, it becomes more and more relevant. So it is, it's not, and hydrogen, and there when we go hydrogen, first of all, it's a global market also for biomethane because there is also global flows of uh, biomass um, present and so there will be also global flows of hydrogen. So my study scope was on the European European member state, but that doesn't mean that the that's the scope of the problem. All right. So but speaking of, of uh, global markets or markets in general, I'm, I'm just maybe uh not trying to derail your 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 project but i'm i'm curious um if you imagine introducing a carbon price uh as a measure would would that make the biomethane or what what kind of impacts would that have on on uh, your design of a biomethane market well a carbon price would one thing would not exclude the other so actually right. with a higher carbon price you have more incentive from consumers to buy biomethane or renewable gases that don't have, that would not have a high carbon price to pay. So actually, the car, an increasing carbon price would lead to um, to uh, to the cost gap between natural gas and renewable gas to become smaller, so, and the price differences to become smaller. So smaller. So it uh, might incentivize many consumers to shift to biomethane. So that actually would promote the uh, develop further development of the biomethane and renewable gas market. It would give it a push, so to say, because you would have more demand then and also then more suppliers. Right, that, that makes sense.
Regarding the future, I, I was puzzled by some numbers in, in your study uh, where you, you quoted uh, other research which is uh, predicting or pr uh, projecting quite different levels of future renewable energy shares of gas. So one mentions that we may have 14% on a European scale of the total gas uh, supply in 2040. Another study is mentioning 70% by 2050, I think. Maybe I got the numbers wrong, but it's basically to show that it seems to me there are quite quite large differences in, in the expected uh, renewable share of gas. That makes me wonder, is, is there, uh, there's also an ongoing uh, discussion on where gas should be used. So should it be used for heating or transport or in industry? In, in your solution or your setup, uh, what what will be the impacts of those on, on the use of gas in, in different sectors? Uh, can you say something about that? Well, so far, most uh, reports and studies go to that, the guide to the direction that um, in the future, gas will be used in the industrial sector still, and not gas, but renewable gas, because we talk about a fossil fuel free future. It will be mostly used in the industrial sector and for the transport sector where electrification is not an option. Because when you have a 100% renewable electricity system, you it actually it has a high value to grasp the excess uh, electricity and store it. So that is actually also a part where the gas system can come into play for storing the excess electricity using uh, electrolyzers and power to gas. But yeah, those are the main areas that most uh, studies and reports are um, emphasizing. Right. So and of course, during the transition period, this, uh, the gas system still plays a role until we reach the point of a fossil-free energy system. Mm. But where where renewable gases may still be used, but perhaps no, some, not so much in in heating homes, for instance, is that? Yeah. Well, when you have, in, especially when you have renewable electricity uh, fully supplying the grid, um, electric heat pumps have quite a high efficiency. So during the transition period, uh, especially, uh, it might be an interesting option to have hybrid systems installed where people can still keep their gas boilers and just have an add-on heat pump. But in the future, after the point where there is renewable electricity, using hydrogen, for example, for heating, it's just as such as using electricity with efficiency losses. So, mm, Right, that makes sense, yeah. So the paper uh, is, uh, I think, published, and I uh, will, of course, also link to, to this study uh, in the notes of this episode. Uh, but before we go, and I will thank you very much, Tara, but uh, b before I leave you, um, in the peer review section, as we've chosen to call it, uh, I would request a recommendation on anything you like that you think that the listeners should uh, perhaps also check out. Uh, so, um, can you ha can you recommend any any uh, piece of uh, research or whatever else that you find relevant to look into? Well, the 
future gas project, which my PhD was part of, is at the ending phase, and there is very interesting end results coming out. So I think you could maybe um, add a link to the of the website. Sure. There. Because there are also interesting findings in other from other perspective, from technical perspective, and uh, I, it's 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 a project with many partners, and each have very valuable input to the overall question of the project. So yeah, it's a it's a really strong team that's behind that project, and I, I certainly think that listeners should check out uh, Future Gas if if you want to know more about the renewable side of of the gas system's future. This study was also in collaboration with the Florence School of Regulation uh, and their gas department. And they have also some interesting other articles regarding renewable gas regulation. Uh, For example, they have the topic of the month and in December 2019, they had a very interesting article written by Ilaria Conti called 50 Shades of Green Gas Markets. The first step is a taxonomy for the new gases. And um, yeah, it's uh, there is also um, very interesting material on their platform regarding this uh, subject. Right. So that's good supplementary reading for your study, I think. Yes. Okay. And they also have an interesting podcast. So (laughs) (laughs) they do. Yes, I follow it as well. That was a a lot of good recommendations. Right. So uh, thank you so much, Tara. That was a, that was a pleasure uh, to to discuss, and I've I've certainly learned a lot by looking at your paper, and I hope the listeners have as well. Otherwise, you'll be able to to read more about it uh, in detail in in Tara's research. Thank you very much for the nice talk, and and congratulations also to you for your PhD. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. um, with that, I will uh, say thank you, and uh, perhaps you will hear more to Tara in the future in, in case uh, she has more interesting research to share. Thanks very much. As always, you can find links to the resources mentioned in the podcast in the notes to this episode. I'm very happy to hear your comments, so get in touch with me, Daniel Sneeuw. My details are also in the notes. If you rate us in whatever platform you're using, you may also help the research reach new ears. Sound design is by Dear Caesar, and the podcast is hosted by Technical University of Denmark's Sustainability Division. We publish whenever there is new research and when we can make schedules meet. So consider Energy Policy Cast more as a surprise gift in your podcast feed than a regular broadcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>